what's been called a Chinese spy balloon drifted across the U.S. for a week. That's before getting shot down over the weekend. But how did it end up over American soil? Was Beijing trying to make a statement, test the waters? Or was it an attempt to sabotage talks with Washington ahead of Secretary of State Antony Blinken's China trip? And if so, how is the infighting within the Chinese Communist Party involved? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. First, let's talk about the alleged Chinese spy balloon that the U.S. military shot down over the weekend. Underwater searches to recover the remains of the craft are underway. And a full Senate classified briefing has been scheduled for February 15th. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more updates on the incident. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said the briefing will include information about China's surveillance capabilities, research and development, and advanced weapon systems. He pushed back on criticism that the spy balloon should have been shot down sooner. Shooting down the surveillance balloon over water wasn't just the safest option, but it was the one that maximized our intel intelligence payload. Uh, the PRC knows precisely what this was. Uh, the PRC knows precisely why this was in our airspace. The PRC knows precisely what this was doing uh, over the United States. And ultimately, uh, the PRC knows precisely why we did what we did. Uh, the secretary made the point on Friday that if the shoe were on the other foot, if something analogous uh, were to have happened um, within PRC airspace, you can only imagine the response uh, from Beijing. The Gang of Eight is also expected to be briefed as soon as Tuesday. The group is made up of key intelligence committee members and top leaders from the House and Senate. A U.S. fighter jet shot the balloon down with a missile off the coast of South Carolina on Saturday. You know, it just popped and like above it, it was like confetti. Senior defense officials say the missile punctured the balloon when it was about six nautical miles off the coast near Myrtle Beach. Well within the 12 nautical miles of U.S. territory, the debris landed in 47 feet of water and spread out over several miles. Recovery operations included several ships and a salvage vessel. Officials say the balloon debris will be taken to an FBI lab for analysis. China is accusing the U.S. of overreacting. It claims the balloon was for weather research and had blown off course. Because it's a balloon, it can act with a certain impunity in this sense and has this plausible deniability saying that it's a weather balloon. And I think the statement that they were trying to make is that they are not okay with, with the U.S. foreign policy and this closeness between the U.S. and Taiwan. China's Ministry of Defense stated they reserve the right to use necessary means to deal with similar situations. It was certainly trying to make a statement and test the water and see how the U.S. would respond to this. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has postponed his planned trip to Beijing, saying conditions were not conducive for a constructive visit at this time. The presence of this surveillance balloon in U.S. airspace is a clear violation of U.S. sovereignty and international law. The Pentagon says a second Chinese spy balloon was detected flying over Latin America. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The balloon drifted for one week across the U.S. It first took to the skies in China, flying along several Japanese islands before entering U.S. territory in Alaska. It then crossed into Canada and re-entered U.S. territory. It was finally shot down off the East Coast. Now that the alleged Chinese spy balloon was shot down by U.S. fighter jets, the question remains, what was it for? Was Beijing trying to sabotage talks with the U.S. ahead of Secretary of State Antony Blinken's China trip? 
Was it an attempt to gauge Washington's military response or something else? We hear from an expert for more. Pieces of the Chinese balloon were recovered off the Carolina coast on Monday, while U.S. Navy vessels continue cleanup efforts in the debris field to try to solve the deepening mystery. A key question is, why would Beijing want to use a relatively unsophisticated balloon to surveil the continental U.S.? I think it's very hard not to conclude that in a way this was such a brazen act to send a balloon, we're talking about a balloon, to drift across the United States with these sort of carefully timed stops over U.S. missile bases and military bases. It's almost a kind of gesture of contempt. China already operates more effective military satellites for surveillance. On the other hand, China affairs analyst Tong Jingyuan says Beijing is probably using the balloon as a low-orbit satellite to obtain more detailed intelligence information that satellites cannot at a lower cost. The second advantage is that since this balloon has military-civilian integration, it's very convenient for China to claim that it's a civilian product and that this balloon is uncontrollable and therefore is exempt from any responsibility. But whatever the capabilities of this particular balloon, Washington has taken the threat seriously. Secretary of State Antony Blinken canceled his scheduled trip to China. U.S.-China tensions were expected to ease with this visit. The cancellation deals a major blow to Beijing. It also raises another question about the Chinese regime's intentions. Why the timing of the balloon's launch? A few within the CCP may oppose easing the U.S.-China relationship. We can call them extremely anti-American hardliners within the CCP system. Or some may even be anti-Xi Jinping. They might have released the balloon on purpose. The U.S. has reported similar balloon incidents in the past, so there's a question mark over why China chose to send one flying ahead of Blinken's trip. Tong says the occurrence could signal a power struggle within the CCP. It was deliberately chosen to do this at a sensitive time. This way, it could be a blow to Xi Jinping politically and undermine his efforts to ease relations with the U.S. and restore the domestic economy. China maintains that the balloon was a weather research airship that had been blown off course. But experts say the balloon's anticipated flight path near certain missile bases makes that explanation unlikely. Senator Marco Rubio told ABC that China intentionally flew a spy balloon over the U.S. to send a message. And that is that the United States is a once great superpower that's hollowed out, that's in decline. Rubio says Washington's decision to wait until the object was off the East Coast before shooting it down played right into China's hands. He added it could present a hidden hazard if Beijing launched military action on Taiwan or in the Indo-Pacific. On Saturday, President Biden said he had asked the military to shoot down the balloon a day earlier, but was told there was too much potential for harm on the ground. Amid the Chinese balloon controversy, Washington is sending Ukraine a new $2.1 billion weapons package to defend its skies. It includes a new ground-launched bomb-tipped rocket. The latest aid to Ukraine also includes $425 million in equipment drawn from existing U.S. stockpiles and $1.75 billion in contracts to the defense industry. The U.S. shutting down a Chinese police station in the heart of New York City. The State Department confirmed the news to the National Review. A staff member from the police station also verified the statement. We have halted our operations. The U.S. government told us we can't stay open. There are still two other stations open on American soil. One is in Los Angeles, the other in an unknown location. 
NTD reached out to the FBI and the State Department for more. The FBI declined to comment. The State Department said it had no further information to share at this time. Beijing operates a network of over 100 similar police outposts around the world. Chinese authorities say the offices help overseas Chinese with passport services. While human rights groups say they help Beijing harass and track down dissidents, Ireland and the Netherlands have ordered outposts in their territories to close. More than 10 countries have started investigations into the issue. First, harsh lockdowns, then a chaotic U-turn. Beijing's COVID-19 strategies are making Chinese people reflect and take a step in a new direction. Crowds of Chinese Americans joined in a rally in Los Angeles last week. They are calling on people to sever ties with the Chinese Communist Party or CCP. The Chinese people have had enough. They are waking up. Many of them riled by the party's mishandling of the COVID-19 pandemic. While authorities claim the outbreak has ended, videos posted online tell a different story. Among the attendees, one said he knew China's communist authorities were downplaying the situation because his wife worked as a nurse in a Wuhan hospital. He urged people to draw a line in the sand with the CCP. For those of you in mainland China, if you realize the evil nature of the party, I suggest you do not join those CCP-related organizations and do not let your children join them. I love China too, but I hate the Communist Party. Apart from a ruling party, the CCP has other affiliated organizations, including the Youth League and the Young Pioneers. They are state-run groups that aim to teach Chinese children allegiance to the party. The Communist Party has caused so much suffering and disaster to the Chinese people that we should not forgive. So whether we were or are members of the Young Pioneers, the Youth League, or the party, as long as we're in line with the values of normal human beings, we should refuse to be part of them. Other attendees urged people to take a closer look at the party's history. The calls to quit the Chinese Communist Party are being echoed in mainland China. More citizens are pulling away from the regime. In southern China's Hunan province, a young man in his 20s issued a statement on a U.S.-based website known as the Global Tweidang Center, or the Quit the CCP Center in English. In it, he announced his withdrawal from all party-related groups. What motivated his decision? He recalled Beijing's COVID-19 cover-up and under-reporting in early 2020, which led to the worldwide spread of the pandemic. But back then, he said he didn't feel it had much of an impact on his life, though his school put strict entry controls in place. His turning point hit last year, when authorities suddenly scrapped the country's zero-COVID-19 policy without notice. And his grandmother died of a serious infection. That was when he realized what he called the cruelty and inaction of the Chinese communist regime. In Shanghai, another citizen joined the ranks of those withdrawing from the CCP. Chen learned more about the COVID-19 outbreak from relatives during the Lunar New Year holiday. In his statement, he wrote, The Communist Party's response was so foolish and cold-blooded that it completely disregarded the lives of the people. More and more people are seeing the true face of the CCP. Liu and Chen are among the 400 million Chinese who have renounced their support for the communist regime since 2004. 
According to the Toidang Center, most people from China use pseudonyms to quit. That's to protect themselves and their families in China from retribution. Refuse to forget, refuse to forgive. That's the model for a commemorative event in New York held over the weekend. Attendees said they refused to forget the first whistleblower who sounded the alarm about the COVID-19 pandemic in Wuhan, Dr. Li Wenliang, as well as others who died of the virus. What's more, they say they won't forgive the Chinese Communist Party for what its handling caused over the last three years. Tuesday marks the third anniversary of Li Wenliang's death. Several similar events also took place in other cities. NTD's Ke Tingting has more. Here on 96th Street on the west side of New York Central Park, there is a bench commemorating Dr. Li Wenliang. On the third anniversary of his death, people can be seen coming here one after another to send flowers in mourning. A quote from Li Wenliang is engraved on the bench. A healthy society should not have only one voice. First, we want to express condolences to people who died of the virus. We won't forget them. Second, we'll never give up and never forgive the CCP's tyranny. Li Wenliang was one of the doctors who first sounded the alarm three years ago over the dangers of the CCP virus, which causes COVID-19. At that time, it was known only as an unknown pneumonia spreading in Wuhan. Dr. Li was quickly silenced by police and later died of the virus on February 7, 2020. When many people see the disasters in Chinese history, they often didn't understand why such things could happen. But after experiencing the pandemic in the past three years, we can see that under the Chinese Communist regime, all kinds of human tragedies are possible. In Los Angeles, around 50 people gathered outside the city's Chinese consulate to mourn Li Wenliang. A man attacked the event and was later arrested by police. Event participants say he's a Chinese student. Similar events have been held in San Francisco, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Germany and France. More reports suggest Beijing is severely underreporting its COVID-19 death toll. China announced on Wednesday that there have been nearly 80,000 deaths in hospitals across the country since virus restriction measures were lifted on December 8th. Officials also stated the country's death toll reached its peak of about 4,300 at the start of January. But experts are questioning these figures, and accounts from residents contradict these numbers, too. The Chinese Communist Party's data is not credible. It's a joke. According to the data from the Chinese CDC, the single-day death peak was only 4,273 cases. There are more than 35,000 first-, second-, and third-level hospitals in China. So it's equivalent to only one death in eight hospitals. And I'm not even including the lower-level medical institutions here. According to the data from the end of 2021, there are at least 7,000 cremation furnaces across China. If the peak death rate in a single day is 4,273, it doesn't even exceed the number of cremation furnaces. But the reality is that many hospital morgues are full of corpses, and the crematoriums cannot meet demand. A resident of northern China's Jilin province gave another account. He says his friend in a nearby town got in line for cremation services for his family during the Lunar New Year holiday a week ago. The people were waiting for more than a month. There must have had a lot of deaths. 
In Antu town, 36 people died in one day. An internet user in Shanghai reported that his mother passed away on January 21st, adding that the funeral home she was brought to said the wait time for cremation was at least a month. Coming up, do Chinese people really believe in Beijing's communist system? And how far is China away from a new leader? Given protests have sprouted in China asking Xi Jinping to step down. What's more, something seems to have changed among the country's leadership. We sat down with Paul Marshall, distinguished professor of religious freedom at Baylor University to find out more. His take in just a minute, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The freedom to believe or to have the government tell you what to believe. How does religious freedom fit into the bigger picture of how we understand the world around us? We recently sat down with Paul Marshall, distinguished professor of religious freedom at Baylor University, during the International Religious Freedom Summit in Washington to find out more. Paul Marshall, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. So when we talk about religious freedoms, what are some of the biggest differences when it comes to how we view it in America and in other countries, totalitarian countries like China? The, um, I would say in, in simple terms, uh, totalitarian countries like China don't believe in religious freedom. Uh, they say they would define it differently, um, but in practice they restrict it, they don't want it. and. Um, so there is a, a takeover of every religious form. And um, the Chinese government says, I think correctly, there's a lot of cultural differences between China and the US, and they would come to expression. I, I don't know anybody that would deny that. Um, but when they're putting people in prison or killing them, why do you need to have all these prison caps? Why do you need to have the, all these controls? Why do you need to demolish buildings? Uh, you need to do that because so many Chinese disagree with you. You are not speaking for the Chinese people as a whole. So. To your point, what is it about faith, or at least the non-state sanctioned faith, that the party really doesn't like? Why is it going after them? Uh, there are two levels. One is um, it doesn't like anything which is independent. Uh, if uh, you know you had a bicycle association which the government didn't control, it wouldn't like that. So it, it wants everything to be subservient to the party. But with faith, you get two um, added elements. One is it's extremely powerful. Uh, people will die for what they believe, and uh, the government doesn't want such a powerful thing if it doesn't control it. Uh, secondly, that um, it has an authority apart from the government. With um, there was a, a you know expression of Jesus, give to God the things that are God's, and and to Caesar the things which are Caesar's. It's actually a very complex expression. You have loyalty to Caesar, to to the government. You have loyalty to God. They may fit together. They may conflict. Um, he says, but in radical religions, God is Caesar, whereas in communism, Caesar is God. 
So that distinction is not made. It's the idea that you have another loyalty. There was, um, at, at the time, the, uh, the Soviet Union collapsed, and with it much of, of Western Europe. Uh, the Chinese government studied this very carefully, because for obvious reasons, they didn't want that happening where they are. And there was a, a quote, I forget, it was a party newspaper. I have, I have the quote on the, uh, analyzing um, what went on in the collapse of the Soviet Union. And it thought that religion was a very important factor there. That the church, the fact also you had a Polish pope, which was affecting Poland and other things. One quotation they used with, said, referring to, it says, if China, referring to the Soviet Union, if China does not want the same thing to happen in its own land, it must strangle the baby while it is still in the manger. This was back in 1991. So. Zooming in on the Caesar as God comparison, yeah. what do you make of the argument that some say where it almost seems to take more faith to believe in the Chinese Communist Party than a, a religion? Um, I think so, yeah. It, it's hard to tell in China how many people sort of believe in the Communist Party. They may be members, but obviously you get economic benefits, your chances of kids getting into university, good schools, good jobs, all of these increase. So you know, many people join the Communist Party. How many actual believers there are, I don't know. The, um, in the 1990s, I gave some lectures at the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. And um, a few things struck me. I was interested in learning from <clears throat> the scholars there something about more traditional uh, Chinese thought on politics. There's very rich traditions, not only Confucius, but, but many others. And I was interested in learning about that. Um, but they weren't that interested in that nor were they interested in communism. Uh, they wanted to talk to me about Western political thought, people like John Rawls, who I find totally boring. Uh, but there was no discussion of communism. I mean, at the end, there would be a pro forma one that someone would say, of course, we're all committed to sort of Marxism, Lenin, and Mao Zedong thought. But in two hours of discussion, it never came up. So a number of people who just go along with it for the benefits uh, you know, the, the party says economically we're delivering the goods, which it has, uh, so people go along with it. Actually, to your point, so Xi Jinping secured his third term, I think, last October, yeah. and then with that we saw a return to more Maoist thought. It was a yeah. very big emphasis on ideology, on the communist ideology, but more recently with all the white paper protests we saw. Yeah. It's not just protesting the COVID lockdowns, but many were also calling for Xi Jinping to step down or for the CCP, <laughs> yeah. the Chinese Communist Party, to step down. So do you see maybe a change on the horizon? The first thing which is, is significant is there are demonstrations, those you have not had for decades, that people were worked up enough to, um, to protest uh, particularly with the COVID restrictions, and we watch the government back down. It pretends it's doing, you know, oh, problem solved now, we're doing it. But it just uh, reversed its position. That would be fairly humiliating for uh, Xi Jinping. 
There are economic difficulties, as you know, the real estate uh, section is sort of vastly, well, to a large degree bankrupt, and that's a large part of the economy. So, and we've also noticed in China a softening of its, its foreign policy, uh, or at least its style. Um, it seemed to have a, a studied arrogance whereby its diplomats would go about and insult the Australians, insult the Canadians, and so on. And um, that style has changed. And I think it could be that many in the Chinese leadership said, we are annoying and alienating a lot of people. To what end? What do we get out of that? We're making enemies where we don't need to make enemies. So I think she has been making a lot of political mistakes. And um, his authority is less than it was when he was uh, got chosen for his third term. If there's a division in the leadership of the party, um, which, which may be possible, uh, that can open things up. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.